0: This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Professor Philip Goodman's Psychic Cheats. Psychic Cheats. The brain sees what it wants to see. And the owl
1: go with the steebos in Chicago and what I will know
2: come at the grand light making a sense. The smell of death is on the and night when the cold wind blows. no one cares, Hello,
0: my name is Chris.
3: My name is Kelsey.
0: And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. This week, it's all about hauntings with 1980's The Changeling and 2017's Ghost stories. But before we get to the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show?
3: Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition.
0: That is correct. Give me what you got.
3: I'm going to give you the easy question first. Okay. And the impossible question second.
0: Impossible question.
3: are very difficult. Okay. The final scene in 1976's Carrie... Yes. ...is revealed to be the dream of what character...
0: I, I don't know her name. It's the girl who lived. It's the one who picked on her originally and felt really bad about it and had her boyfriend take Carrie instead to the prom. And so she was she didn't go to the prom. And Yeah, I don't know her name, though.
3: You're going to know it when I say it. What is it? Sue Snell. Nah. It's a very... Obvious name. Yeah, I just don't
0: store that kind of information in my brain. Then you're
3: definitely not gonna know the second question.
0: (laughs) Okay, well, this one's uh it's multiple choice, but I'm I'm not gonna make it multiple choice. I want to see if you can answer it without the choices. Okay. And then maybe if you need help, I'll give you the choices. Okay. In The Wolfman, 1941. Okay, here's the problem. (laughs) Okay. On the card, it spells it the Wolfman. And we know that that was the (laughs) remake, not the original. The original was Wolf Space Man. (laughs) Trivial Pursuit got it wrong. In The Wolfman, 1941, Lawrence Talbot comes home after the death of what family member?
3: Can't be his father because that's who he talks to. Yep. I want to say uncle, but that doesn't sound right. For some reason, I keep thinking it's his cousin. Is it his cousin?
0: It is not. Is it his uncle? No. Who is it? Is it A, (laughs) his father? No. B, his mother? Or C, his brother?
3: Oh, that's right. It's his brother, because he's always being compared to his brother.
0: That is correct. Yeah. All right, Kelsey. Kelsey. We're going to start the episode off with 1980s The Changeling. Before we get too deep into it, just want to point out again, like we did at the end of last week's episode, this was a recommendation from Donnie from Twitter. So thank you, Donnie. Really appreciate it. 1980s The Changeling was directed by Peter Medak. Written by Russell Hunter, William Gray, and Diana Maddox, starring George C. Scott, his wife, Trish Vandeveer, and Melvin Douglas. Kelsey, what is the Changeling all about?
3: A man whose wife and daughter were killed in a car accident decides to go back into teaching. He's a composer of piano music. And so he has to move into a house, and the house ends up being haunted.
0: Very good. Would you recommend people watch this on their own before listening to this?
3: I don't know. It's kind of long.
0: It feels (laughs) way longer than it needs to
3: be. Yeah. It's Uh, really long. And there's just a lot of points where I was bored. Sorry, Donnie. <laughs>
0: uh, I thought that Peter Medic or Peter Medek, or I'm guessing it's Medic, uh, and John Coquillon, the director of photography, I thought they did a great job. It is so impressively shot. Uh, it's definitely worth watching from that perspective. It is conversely horribly edited by. <laughs> Uh, Lila Peterson, and it's not that scary. It's
3: it's, it's not scary at all. It's in,
0: inexplicably considered to be one of the scariest horror movies of all time.
3: That can't be true.
0: And I do not understand it.
3: Who said that?
0: For instance, Martin Scorsese listed it on his uh, eleven scariest movies of all time list. What? Yes, I don't know if it's any in. An I don't know if it's in any particular order. He wrote it for the Daily Beast in 2015. He wrote an article, and it's just his thoughts on these 11 movies. There's no intro. There's no explanation. Nothing. It's just his thoughts on these movies. So I don't know if it's in any order, but he put it at number six. So if you're curious, the order of what Martin Scorsese believes are the scariest movies of all time, they are The Haunting. The original? Yes.
3: Never seen the original.
0: Isle of the Dead. Never heard of it. The Uninvited.
3: Wait. The original from Asia or the American version? (laughs) I don't know. What year? Does it not say a year that it came out?
0: I'm not looking at the article. I wrote down the titles. Oh. The Entity. Dead of Night.
3: Nice. Dead of Night! I really like Dead of Night. Scariest movies of all time. It was creepy. Remember the ending when he's running through all of the dreams, or all of the stories, and they're all coming after him? It's pretty creepy.
0: Then why not, like, any other movie where people (laughs) are running away from stuff? The Changeling, The Shining, The Exorcist, Night of the Demon, The Innocents, and Psycho. Scariest movies of all time. I have a feeling Martin Scorsese does not know what fear is.
3: <laughs> maybe it filled him with dread. Right. I, I can see that with like Dead of Night, The Shining.
0: Yeah, maybe all- he's confusing fear with dread.
3: Yes. he. I think he, that's what he's talking about. It's the feeling of this is not going to go well. <laughs> yeah.
0: But if you want to see a very well shot and poorly edited movie that. Ostensibly is a horror movie But isn't really scary Then yeah
3: I think it's a good movie It's just kind of boring and long And you figure out like What's happening and then it just keeps Going and you're like wait but Hauntings are supposed to be Done once you figure out what's happening
0: (laughs) Yeah right it just Keeps going on (laughs) And here Just mm. Not to give away my feelings on the movie completely, but it does just kind of feel like a series of events that just sort of happens. Mm -hmm. Um, There's nothing that really propels the story forward, really. And then this happens, and then this thing happens, and then that thing happens, and then that thing happens. And it's not, like, exciting. There's a whole subplot where people think he's trying to blackmail a senator, and it's like... (laughs) This is all unnecessary. Why are we still watching this movie? Yeah. <laughs> so, Donnie, Donnie. Bubala.
3: It's a good it's, it's a well good, made. It
0: is a good movie.
3: It's well made.
0: It is a good movie, but it just wasn't that scary to us.
3: Or interesting.
0: <laughs> well, we will get into exactly what happens. When we get back, we will talk about 1980s, the changeling.
2: Ocean picture. The changeling. Changeling. A beautiful lonely mansion. It doesn't want people. Rather large for one lonely man. Peculiar sounds. A hidden dusty attic room. A charming ancient music box. A little wheelchair with cobwebs all over it. Did you die in this house? A seance. Jordan Ross. And terror when they discover that something dead is alive in there. The Changeling. The Changeling. Starring George C. Scott. Why you want me? The Changeling. The Changeling. Bye. The
0: Changeling. Rated R. All right, Kelsey, why don't you get us started? What happens in the changeling?
3: Well, it starts with the accident.
0: The accident.
3: And it starts by showing us that their car broke down in the snow, and the mom and the daughter, who Chris thought was a boy.
0: (laughs) No, I didn't think it was anything. I just, you barely ever see her. And she has all of, like, two lines, and she's young, so the tone of her voice doesn't indicate gender at this point. Not that it really does at any time, but it's just weird. I don't know. I just thought it, it was a boy, and it turns out it was his daughter.
3: <laughs> so his daughter and his wife are playing in the snow, and then he goes over to call our equivalent of AAA these days on a payphone, and he's just stuck in the payphone booth watching... As his wife and daughter get killed. And I'm sorry, I don't understand how the accident happened because of the way it was shot.
0: So it was, yeah, it was all really icy and snowy. And there was a truck coming downhill at speed. And there was another car going too fast around a turn at the intersection where they were pulled over. And it skidded and which and got in the truck's way. It, it took the turn a little bit too wide. Because it didn't have any choice because it skidded, and it it cut off the truck, which was trying to slam on its brakes in the ice, and both of them crash, like, right on top of his wife and kid.
3: Why are they stuck there?
0: Here's a hot take. Why did we even need to see this? Yeah. Like, why not just start with him being sad about the death of his wife and kid? Agreed. Anyway, <laughs> go on.
3: So, like I said earlier, he decides, I'm going to get back into teaching, which seems like the best thing to do when you're in the middle of your grieving period. Let's get into a classroom and talk to kids. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, he's an adult. I mean, like, it's college, but just, I also don't understand. (sighs) I didn't go to a music college, so I guess maybe I don't understand, but, like, what are you going to do? You'll play music at him? Yeah, I don't
0: know. Yeah, I got I have friends that are going to college for music. Yeah. You you learn musical theory. You learn how to play uh music better on your instrument. You learn about the history of that music and why things sound the way they do and why certain sounds go together well. And he has a piano up the front, and he's not just gonna play stuff for <laughs> him, he's gonna talk about it and he's gonna break the stuff down. It's just like film class. What are you gonna do? Just watch movies? No. <laughs> Anyway.
3: So, he is being shown this house to live in that's been owned by the Historical Society for the past 12 years. And in those 12 years, no one has lived inside of it. Did you get the feeling that the realtor was, like, in on it? I don't
0: even remember the realtor. The
3: whole time she's showing the house, she, like, seems super excited to get him in there and, like wants him there and she seems very evasive when he asks her questions like it felt like this was some sort of plot
2: this is the music room this is really why i thought of you in this house the piano was left here when the society took over just too much
0: trouble to move really
3: but there's no plot right.
0: well also what we find out later is the only people that are bothered by the fact that he's there are the people that know the secret. Mm-hmm. And this lady wouldn't know the secret. She doesn't know anything about this house. Although, if it's been vacant for 12 years, that means somebody else was living here 12 years ago, which was not that long ago compared with the events that supposedly caused this haunting. So maybe people are like, this house is haunted, and they leave.
3: Well, yeah, that we get that. They say that. They're like, it's not fit to be living. No, no, ha- no.
0: But she's somebody who knew the secret. She didn't want anybody living there.
3: It's a beautiful house. It is a gorgeous yeah. home. Well, it
0: doesn't exist. Unfortunately, it is just a fake facade and then a series of rooms interconnected in a soundstage. I apologize.
3: It's so large. <laughs> I don't want to live in this historical home. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so he's like playing on the piano and then he walks away and then a key gets struck. Mm-hmm. So we know automatically that there is a ghost in the house.
0: Yeah. I got to say there's a there's a couple things in this movie that it originated or at least popularized and a creepy piano being played just a single note on its own or whatever is like th- this movie popularized that
3: Pretty sure the haunted mansion existed before
0: piano playing on its own that's not what I'm talking about and I'm not saying it's the first one I'm saying like just like a single chord being struck in this case, a single key.
3: That It's funny that you say that, because another big problem I had with this movie, sometimes it did unique things, which I really liked. Mm-hmm. And then other times it was just like, you are just playing, you're just painting by numbers right now. Yeah. A lot of it felt paint by okay, numbers. Okay, what
0: what what can what creepy can happen here?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: and then they just do the thing, and it's like, was that supposed to be scary?
3: Yeah, but some of the stuff is good, but we'll get yeah, there. uh-huh. They do a bunch of other little things to show us that there is a ghost, one of which is a door opening, and every single time one of these little things happens, there's this weird sound that I suppose is supposed to be like a, a ghostly noise, but yeah, it's, it's like more talking. like a zing.
0: Oh, that, yeah. And it's
3: weird, and it does it a lot, and it's jarring, and it's not that it's scary, it's that it's like... What? What just happened?
0: (laughs) Is that diegetic or not?
3: (laughs) And also, I really liked this. We always watch with subtitles on, as we've said many times. And every time he plays the piano, it says, pleasant piano
0: music. (laughs) Just imagine that it's pleasant. Pleasant piano music.
3: The realtor lady comes by to see the house. And I swear, she walked in and I was just like, Jesus. She looks like she's going to go riding. And then... When she's leaving, he says, oh, do you enjoy writing? And I was like, fuck yeah.
0: Oh, that's who you were talking about before? Yes. Her? No, that, that's the character's name is Claire. That's played by Trish Vanderveer, who is uh, his actual wife, George C. Scott's actual wife. His fourth wife, I want to say, something like that. But it's the wife he had until he died in, in 1999. She's not a realtor; she's an agent for the historical society who yeah. owns it. So she's I was just calling organizing calling her realtor the lease. because she's
3: the reason that he right, got into yeah, the house. Okay, okay, okay. So they're standing there talking. He's really, you know, gloomy about his daughter and whatever. And he's like, "My daughter loved horses." And then it's like, "Blam!" And it goes into the house. And this is when we start to hear these noises that he's hearing at like six o'clock every day. Uh huh. And it's. Really badly edited together.
0: Yeah, this is what I'm talking about. The the cuts between scenes, it's not even like the one in Poltergeist, where it's just this sudden cut in the middle of a conversation. And you're like, whoa, I wasn't ready for that scene to end, and I feel like I missed something now that I'm here in this new scene. No, it was just like, that's an odd place to put a cut. And yep. and it doesn't communicate anything. Like, what was the purpose of that cut?
3: Yeah, so he is talking to a plumber or whatever, and he's like, oh, it's an old house. It's got habits. What?
0: Yeah, old houses make noise.
3: I know, but specifically he's like, look, it happens every day at six.
0: Yeah, no, no. He's absolutely he's absolutely right.
3: It's got habits is what the man says to him. Yeah. What?
0: Uh-huh. Nothing in this house is on a timer. Yeah. <laughs> Why would it happen every morning about? at six?
3: And then he keeps hearing like this dripping sound. So he goes into the bathroom And this was kind of a creepy thing that happened. He's walking up to the bathtub. And it's not like a jump scare. He's looking at the water and then this face just kind of revolves in the water to look at him. Yeah. And it's like I said, it's not a jump scare. It's not like a dar and then you're you're done. He just stands there and looks at he it He just for kind a of second. stares at it.
0: And boy, does George C. Scott have a stare.
3: Yes, he does. He has, a, he
0: stares a lot in this movie. <laughs> and that eyebrow and just, mwah, chef's kiss. Mwah.
3: So he goes and he's talking to the people at the Historical Society. And there's this one lady who's very like anti him being in there. Yeah. And she keeps denying that anything weird has happened in it. Uh-huh but he keeps pushing and pushing and she goes it doesn't want people and then he's like haha so there has been a problem in it i just i love that moment because she thinks she's being creepy and like trying to scare him out of it and he's like no you just proved that i'm right
2: that house is not fit to live in no one's been able to live in it it doesn't want people And there has been trouble in the house before.
3: I liked that. Then at one point, he's like leaving the house, and the the haunting breaks a window, like kind of letting him know, "Hey, there's this room up here." Yeah, because there's a hidden room, and
0: he goes up there, and there is no broken window. By the way, the window's completely intact.
3: And this is where I wrote, "God, this is boring." (laughs) And then I wrote, "Paint by numbers," except when it's not, when it's unique. I like it. Yeah. Like, with the face in the water. Like, it didn't do what I would have expected it to do. Right. It just sat there, and it had you look at this, and it's right. like, that is creepy as shit. Right. I liked that. But so much of it is just so yeah. Paint by numbers. So he's in the house, and it's that that banging that we were talking about, only this time it's magnified. And if you've ever had a migraine and you're like me, where you're more oh, sensitive yeah, to sound I remember this, I'm much more sensitive to sound than I am to light. Most people will say that light is just, is unbearable when you're in the middle of a migraine. It's not great for me i don't I would prefer to be in darkness, but it's okay, but sound really really fucks with me and this was loud and banging and if you've ever wanted to know what it sounds like in a person's head when they're having a migraine this is the sound and i wrote specifically chris do not put this in the video i uh-huh. mean in, in the recording because it, i had to put my hands over my ears like i couldn't handle it like i felt like i was about to vomit yeah that's how bad it was And other people might hear it and be like, it's just a banging sound. But if you've never had that in your head, inescapable, then you're not going to know what I'm talking about. (laughs) But if you have, it's really bad and it goes on for way too long, like most of the things in this movie. And that's when he finds the secret staircase. It's being hidden. I can't remember where he finds it, but it's being hidden by something. Oh,
0: it's in a closet or something. Right by the normal staircase. Uh, what would have been the normal staircase in a hallway or something like that at the end of the hallway, there's a closet and he goes in and he feels like a draft or something and he, he sees or something falls off a shelf and he sees there's wood planks as the back wall of this closet and that doesn't make any sense. So he starts tearing everything away and then ripping off. Uh, remember, this is a historical property. <laughs> like he should not just be ripping boards off the wall, but he does. And he, it reveals that there's a room back there. Uh, another staircase.
3: So he goes up into the room. It is covered in cobwebs. There is a old-fashioned wheelchair sitting in there. A bathtub. And he finds a journal. And the journal says 1909. So after that, he goes to talk to the lady at the Historical Society again to find out what the fuck happened. And she says, you must get out of that house. And then we hear, like, ghostly giggling, which was weird. Yeah. <laughs> it was very strange. And that's another problem. It almost makes it look like he's, like, the, the ghost is sometimes fucking with George C. Scott.
0: Right. But I guess because it's a little boy. I guess
3: because it's a kid. But it's it just doesn't really mesh with the rest of the story. Uh-huh. With what happened to this child. <laughs> so, yeah. So, he decides... Let's have a seance.
0: So, this seance, if you have seen Insidious, it's going to seem very familiar, but not quite exactly the same thing. It's obvious that Insidious got uh, inspiration from this seance. So, the way that it works is it's like this psychic lady, this slightly older psychic lady with her even older assistant, who I assume is her husband. I don't know. She's an automatic writer, just like we see in Rose Red. And in Winchester, where she communicates with spirits through just putting pen to paper and they use her body to write, basically. And they're all sitting around this room and she's talking in a really weird kind of low voice, uh, just like, you know, Insidious, where she's whispering into a gas mask and the dude is listening to it. And then he writes down what she's saying. In this one, she's auto-writing, and her husband, I assume, again, her husband, is reading what she's writing and then pulling paper away so she can continue writing without interruption. And they ask the boy a lot of questions. Questions like, you know, who are you? How'd you die? That kind of stuff. And the whole thing is being recorded, when he goes back to listen to the recording, he hears a voice, and this is something that's been used in other movies since as well, where, you know, oh, if you turn the volume really high up on a recording, you can hear a ghost talk in the white noise.
3: That's what happens in The Sixth Sense.
0: Yeah. Uh, you can hear that ghost talk.
3: And it also happens in The Conjuring.
0: Yeah. Happens in another Richard Gere movie.
2: The Mothman is it Prophecies? It It might
0: be The Mothman Prophecies, I don't know. I feel like it was a Richard Gere movie. Anyway, it doesn't matter. The voice is actually answering all of her questions, and he can hear it like clear as day. And he learns a few things. So first of all, it's a boy named Joseph. Uh, he was very young. He was murdered when he was six by his father, Richard. The boy was disabled. And eventually the story that he ends up learning is that the father married into a very famous and rich family. And when his wife died, her father put in his will that his grandson was going to inherit everything, but not until he reached the age of 21. And the father, Richard, decided there's no way this, you know, it's 1906 or whatever there is no way the six-year-old boy is going to live to be 21. And so instead, what he does is he kills the boy by drowning him in the bathtub in his attic room, which he was never allowed to leave. He picked up an orphan and then moved to Europe until the boy turned 18 and then came back and said, yes, the miracle cure in Europe, he's cured. He can walk all of that stuff. And this young boy is now an elderly senator and very, very well respected. But he knows the secret. He He's obviously very rich because of his inheritance, but he's not actually that rich man's grandson. Which, there's like some big fucking controversy towards the end over like, you didn't earn this money, this money's not yours. And it's like, well, yeah, it wouldn't have been his if he was a six-year-old boy either. <laughs> like, inheritance is a construct that we made up. If you inherited money, you didn't earn jack shit. (laughs) So, like, his big offense is that he didn't earn the money. Well, even if he was a legitimate child, he didn't earn it. Anyway, fucking whatever. And he finds out, like, where the body ended up. Because he knows he was thrown in a well. He was buried at the bottom of a well.
3: So if we're going to talk about that, I'm going to bring this up. Okay. The way that we find out that he was in a well before they show it, obviously. Yeah. Is we just get to hear Joseph's voice talking, like Chris said, through uh, the tape recorder. And he keeps saying, father, don't, the well, the dark. Yeah. As soon as I heard that, what did I think of? The ring. The ring. Yep. The ring straight up stole that story. Father, didn't love the child, threw him in a well to get rid of him,
0: stole it. Well, there's also the red bouncing ball that goes down the stairs like that's stolen by a season four episode of Supernatural, The Conjuring, Paranormal Activity 4, We Are Still Here, like tons and tons of movies took inspiration from this movie. So it's I wouldn't accuse the ring of being the one that stole
3: something. It's a pretty big thing to steal.
0: Oh, a, a kid dies by being tossed... Well, I, the kid didn't die getting tossed down a well, either. Right. It's just disposing of a body down a well. Like, that's some big revelation. I have no doubt <laughs> that they took the concept from this movie. I just think steel is a very strong word.
3: The red ball is also used in the first season of American... Horror Story? Yeah.
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he, he finds out that the boy is buried... In a well, but there is no well on the property. So they, he goes to like the historical society or something to find the blueprints for the original property and the way the city, the land was parsed out. And he found out that over time, the property, which was huge, was broken apart and then resold.
3: Like in The Conjuring.
0: Yes. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Part of the property with the well Somebody else lives there now, and there's a house built on top of
3: it. Is that the cottage by the sea? Because I wanted that house, too.
0: No, yeah, what was the cottage by the sea? I
3: don't know, but it was beautiful. Was that
0: her house? I don't know. Can't think of any other house that that he went to. Anyway, so he tries to convince this lady, let me dig up your kitchen floor or whatever, because I think there's a well under there, and I think there's a body in it or whatever. And she's like, yeah, you know what? Sure, my son sees things or whatever and it's a little bit creepy but fuck you I, you all you want to do is just tear up my house no get out of here and then her kid freaks out in the room again and she's like okay come back dig it up go right ahead
3: and that's the one that has a green ass room yeah uh-huh. the carpet is green <laughs> the walls are green mm-hmm. the furniture's green everything is green in this room and it Freaked me out. I was just like, <laughs> who want? I get it was the seventies, and I get that avocado Late 70s, was early in eighties. Yeah, I get that.
0: I had an avocado refrigerator. Who
3: has an entirely avocado room? <laughs> Everything in that room was green. Freaked me out. Like who could stand to see that much green?
0: My brother moved into a house that an old lady used to live in, and everything in the bathroom and the kitchen, including all the appliances and ceramic installations, and everything was pink. (laughs) I feel
3: like pink. At least I get it because girls are like, I like pink, but like green, be way too much green. (laughs) I wouldn't like to have pink stuff either, but green. And it's not like it's a big room. It's a small little bedroom and everything is green.
0: So they end up digging down into the well, which he finds under the floorboards. And well, first he takes a ladder all the way down and then he starts digging it up and he finds a hand, a bony hand. So they call the police and the police dig up the body. They found all the remains of the boy. And they're like, what do you know about this? And he's like, I don't know. Like, come on. You knew to tear up the floorboards and dig down in the bottom of a well? And you happen to find a body and you know nothing. I do not believe that.
3: This is the part where I wrote, we should have watched this with Stir of Echoes. Why? Well, I don't want to give it away. It's so been a long time out. since
0: I've seen Oh, well, Stir then
3: I don't want to give it away. We'll okay. watch it later. But this I think my have parents
0: a- have it on
2: DVD.
3: It's on the list. We're going to watch it. Okay. In fact, it was a recommendation. So it got moved way the fuck up. But um, <laughs> yeah, I wrote that we should have watched this with Stir of Echoes. But I'm not going to say why now. Okay. Continue.
0: He, unsatisfied, continues to dig at the bottom of the well after the police leave. Well, he knows that she's staying at a hotel or something nearby. And so he sneaks back in and keeps digging and he finds a medallion. And it's a baptismal medallion that reflects the date of his baptism and his, his Christian name and all of that. And sure enough, it's the name of this famous senator. Vanderveer's like, "Uh, give that to the police. And he's like, I can't. Are you kidding me? The same exact thing that I was thinking, by the way. I was like, there's no way in hell they'll believe that he found that in the well. He's like, they were down there. They were digging up and they didn't find it. What on earth would make them believe that I found it?
3: Because he didn't really. The ghost brought it up.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. So they had they had the, <laughs> the medallion kind of laying there, and then they pulled it by the medallion end under the, the dirt and let the chain follow it down. And then they just ran that in reverse. So the chain kind of, like, crawls up and then slithers <laughs> on the ground, and it's very obviously just reversed footed. <laughs> so he goes to the airport where he knows the senator is getting on a plane, how he knows that? Not explained. And he's on the tarmac, and he's like, Mr. Senator, Mr. Senator, just, like, charging at him. And, of course, his bodyguards are like, get the fuck back. <laughs> and he's like, I ah, see this? Do you recognize this? Blah, 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 blah. And he gets carried away.
2: Senator, look! Look, I want to show him I want to talk a nice a- Senator! Look at this medal! It's a baptism medal! It's got your name on it!
0: And the senator gets on the plane. Uh, who was that? I don't know. I have no idea. Whatever. And then he goes and he pulls out his his medallion. Here's a question. Why would the father kill the child, bury him with the medallion, and then make a new one For the new kid.
3: I tried to explain this to you when we watched it.
0: Oh, sentimental. Does he seem like a sentimental guy? He he, killed his son for money.
3: Yes, he did. He did kill his son for money. But there was never an indication that he didn't love his son. He did it because he knew that his son wasn't going to survive. And he was never going to see his end to that money. I'm not saying he made the right choice here. I'm (laughs) saying,
0: what I'm saying is, is that no human that would be sentimental enough to throw the medallion away with the body and then make a new one would kill their kid for that reason. I don't care how unlikely it would be that they would live that long. That's just ridiculous. I ha- it, like It's not like, oh, he'd made a decision that I don't understand. It's that it's not consistent. <laughs> it's inconsistent and not in the way that human beings are inconsistent. Anyway.
3: Chris is... Uh- an expert on that, he yeah, knows, he knows how every single person acts. I
0: do. Kelsey thinks every single person acts the way she would. <laughs> so he gets back home, and a detective meets him there. Captain Dewitt, the one who was questioning him earlier, and is like, "You think you're gonna blackmail the senator? Uh, brother, we'll run you out of town. I want you to leave." And rah rah rah, like you know completely ridiculous strong arming or whatever and then Vanderveer shows up and she's like oh my god and and she's like oh the detective's here or whatever and then detective leaves and then she's like I've been fired and your lease has been (laughs) cancelled
2: uh they've cancelled your lease they forced me to resign from the society no explanation
0: no reason nothing just get out like, Jesus, the story just will not end.
3: (laughs) So... DeWitt dies.
0: Yes. DeWitt's (laughs) like, I'll come back with a search warrant if you don't let me look around here. And he's like, I'll be here. (laughs) And for some reason, his car crashes and he dies.
3: The implication is that the kid
0: did it. How? Why? I guess to protect the guy that... Well, let's
3: not forget that the kid can move shit.
0: Yeah. uh Uh-huh.
3: We didn't talk about that. Yeah. It's really creepy. There's a couple... There's, that- like, three scenes. Uh-huh. Yes, wheelchairs are creepy.
0: No, that wheelchair scene is not creepy at all. It's, like, iconic for this movie. <laughs> like, if you look at the cover, it's it's a wheelchair. And then in the shadow, you see the wheelchair with a boy in it. It's not creepy at all.
3: I think it's creepy.
0: It's like a wheelchair chases a lady, and she falls down the stairs. Vanderveer, Like...
3: My problem with it...
0: I'd be creeped out if it came charging at me. Yeah, sure.
3: exactly, Chris. If yes. you saw a fucking okay. old wheelchair coming after you out of nowhere, would scare the shit out of you.
0: But would you fall down the stairs before you put your hands out and were like, stop?
3: Or... Like, like what?
0: it's a wheelchair, what's it gonna do?
3: Or she goes by a ton of rooms and doesn't bother to go inside one yeah. of them and close the door. That, I agree, is dumb. It's a creepy idea.
0: Mm.
3: However... yeah. It doesn't make sense why the kid would do the things that he does. Yeah, why
0: is he terrorizing Vanderveer?
3: Exactly. I don't know. Like, sometimes, Claire, like I said, it mean. seems like he's fucking with George C. Scott for no good reason because he likes George yeah. C. Scott. Uh-huh. And then he fucks with this chick and he fucks with two other people with the fucking thing. And it's just like, were you just doing that to be creepy? Yeah. Yeah, you were. You were just doing that to be creepy. You don't You don't understand horror movies.
0: Yeah. and problem. That's my point. So so much of the stuff is just like, and then I guess this thing happens. Why? Because uh, we need something creepy to happen at this minute. Like, it's, it, anyway. The senator hears about the officer dying, the detective dying. And he calls up John, George C. Scott's character. I, I really have a lot of trouble saying George C. Scott for some reason. Patton! I know as juror number two from... <sighs> The 12 Angry Men remake. It's so good. It's like so him. bad, but good.
3: I like him best in uh, Dr. Strangelove, but I can't think of his name.
0: Yeah, he's a general or something there, too. Or a
3: I love when he falls and he rolls and he stands back up. It's so good.
0: Maybe apocryphal, but the story is is that he was told... He was not told that it was a comedy. He was told that it was a drama. Yeah, no. Yes.
3: He plays it like a comedy. Yeah, people he has, love there, saying
0: that story. There's you
3: know. no way he didn't know it was a comedy. He falls, rolls down, and stands back up.
0: There's a whole thing with pies.
3: <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> it's
0: so anyway, so the senator agrees to hear John's story, and the next thing we see is John drives up to his front door, and he talks to him, and he's like, "Hey, this is what I got. I got the medallion." The senator's like, you mean this one or whatever? And My medal. Yeah, he, My he tells him <laughs> then the entire story that you guys already know. And Senator Carmichael is like, so that's your story. All right, how much do you want? And he's like, what are you talking about? He's like, I've word, you know, blah, 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 blah. There's a thousand times people try to blackmail me whatever. Uh, how much do you want for this poppycock story or whatever? Poppy and he's cock. like. He says something like poppycock, or I I don't remember.
2: All right, how much do you want for this farce that you've concocted?
0: And he gets really, really upset, too, because he's like, my father was a loving man. He never would have done something like that. And John slaps the medallion on, on the countertop and just leaves. He's like, fine, fucking whatever. I'm not here for money. But he does berate him for, specifically, he says... None of this belongs to you.
2: None of this belongs to you.
0: Like, what? It's really
3: unfair. This poor dude. Yeah. He's like, I he's can't help orphan. what happened. Right. What do you want me to fucking do about it?
0: Right. It's kind of ridiculous. Now, obviously, he's an entitled rich asshole, and he treats people that way. So he's kind of a dick, and it's hard to feel sorry for him. But he's also a fragile old man who cries. And there is <laughs> nothing sadder than that. So anyway, he picks up the medallion and compares it with his, and and he cries.
3: It's like in uh, Fahrenheit 9-11, when he goes and berates Charlton Heston. Yeah,
0: and you're just like, oh, I hate Charlton Heston, but this is awful.
3: (laughs) Unnecessary.
0: (laughs) So anyway, he goes back home, or he heads back home, and Claire already went there on her own. This is when she's chased by the wheelchair. John gets there, and everything's going nuts. The whole house is shaking.
3: I did love the shot of the doors busting open from the inside. Yeah. I loved that shot. I thought it was very cool.
0: Right. There are a lot of like the camera takes the perspective of the spirit moving kind of things like something you might see in Evil Dead. Sam Raimi maybe took from this. I don't know. because Evil Dead was 80 what? One. Something like that. Uh, but it's very, very similar. He gets Claire out of there, Vanderveer, and then he goes running back inside. And then he's f- fighting off intense wind upstairs, which is kind of a cool shot of just. But he's like in his 50s here.
3: Yeah, but what did they take it from? Legend of Hellhouse.
0: Oh my God, you're right. Yeah. You're right. It's in *Legend of Hell House*. Mm-hmm. Peter Vincent fights the wind. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Anyway, <laughs> knocks him off the balcony or whatever, and then he and what they take that from?
3: Burnt offerings. Sure. There's a lot of burnt offerings in this. I like can a see that.
0: Lot. I can see that. He falls down, and the chandelier is like swinging. There's some really good shots of that, but it goes on for. Ever. And then the whole place starts catching fire for no reason. And then the senator shows up. (laughs) And he's just there. And I'm like, what, did he teleport there or something? (laughs) And then he goes upstairs. Because, like, immediately before this, he's comparing the medals. And he, like, goes upstairs to the boys' room. And uh, Vanderveer comes in and takes John out of the house. And then we see the senator... Seeing the murder of the original Joseph, who he took his place of. Yeah, because John calls him You're That Changeling. That's where the title of the movie comes from.
2: And there was a substitution from the Sacred Heart Orphanage. The boy was taken to Europe, cured miraculously, and returned to inherit an empire. That changeling
0: was you. And then the whole place just... Blows up.
3: <laughs> Which, why? What's this kid so upset about? Yeah. I mean, I get, like, the reason you get stuck on this planet, or this plane, is because right. you're, you're so upset.
0: But it's not his fault. But it's like, oh, he's the guy that had everything that I should have had. Well, you probably would have died anyway. <laughs> like, the I whole mean, point the kid, was that there would have been always, no money.
3: That's always my problem with these movies, because it's just like...
0: What's the ghost's motivation? Yes. yes.
3: Well, he's a six-year-old
0: boy, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, they go running to check on the senator, which is weird, because apparently the senator lives fucking next door. <laughs> what? When was this, this a part. thing? I don't know what
3: you're talking about.
0: An ambulance leaves. Okay, so they get there. They they run. They don't drive nowhere. They, they run to this place. They don't drive nowhere, babe. Yeah. And they see them taking the senator's body out because he had a heart attack. Now, if that's confusing to you, don't worry. It's exactly how the movie presents it. (laughs) Apparently, he was dying and he had an out-of-body experience. And so he saw all this stuff and he went to the house, but he wasn't physically there. So he didn't die in the explosion.
3: Oh, I do remember that being a little confusing now that you bring it Uh up.
0: He had a heart attack at home. Freaking out over the metals. But the, the ambulance drives away and it passes the entryway to, to this mansion. Like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, they're right next to each other. And then we just see the destroyed rubble of the house. And the wheelchair, which had fallen over, sits upright again. And the music box that plays the song... Which we haven't talked about this entire time, but whatever, it's unimportant. It's just a signifier of something ghostly happening.
3: Burnt offerings. Yeah.
0: It opens up and it starts to play, and that's the end of the movie. What was the point of any of it? You might be asking. <laughs> well, apparently, it's all based on a true story. What? Apparently. So, one of the writers an actual playwright named Russell Hunter. He was staying at a mansion in Cheeseman Park, Denver, Colorado, which they changed the name around to Chessman Park in this. He was staying at the Henry Treat Rogers Mansion. He was living there in the 60s, and he thought the place was haunted. He found a 100-year-old journal in a hidden room, and it told the story of this disabled boy who was... Not allowed to leave, and they had a seance, and the spirit told him to go to a different house. And Goes to this different house. They found human remains and a gold medallion with the boy's name on it, which is like fucking what happens in the movie.
3: That's terrifying.
0: Now, Henry Treat Rogers, he's not the original owner. The people who lived there before that, nobody knows who they were, so they don't know what that was all about. But says who? Who can corroborate that story?
3: I guess that's a point.
0: Right? Like, I mean, we're going to get into, like, yeah, that would be creepy. But where's the proof? Like, (laughs) you're a playwright trying to sell a screenplay.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: Like, how am I supposed to believe you? It is in your best interest to lie.
3: Mm -hmm. That's true.
0: Anyways, lightning round. William Gray, one of the screenplay writers, wrote Robocop in addition to a bunch of other, like, Indie horror movies. Interesting. Yeah.
3: Okay, so in the middle of the seance, or the whole seance, I guess, they have this thing sitting on the table. It's like this big metal...
0: Yeah, at one point they stop the automatic writing and then they put this, like, Cones of Dunshire giant metal cone and and they talk to it and then it rocks and then it knocks a glass off the table which was sitting on the table for some reason an otherwise empty table
3: <laughs>
2: what was the point
3: of that i have thing? no idea i've never seen one of those in a movie before they did nothing to explain it right. It does nothing in the movie like it's so weird
0: it's very very weird i also thought it was a really bizarre way to drown somebody
3: by, by him lifting up. their legs Well, because he can't move his legs
0: Right, but he has hands, and he just bangs them. This is the, the the banging sound he hears at 6 o'clock every day, by the way, is the sound of the boy drowning and banging against the side of the tub. He doesn't grab the edges of the tub and pull himself up. Like, yeah, he's only six years old, but come on, I, I don't believe that he would just bang around and not try to pull himself up.
3: Right, but I mean, I could believe that a kid would be too, especially... A sick child like mm-hmm. that.
0: Yeah, maybe he was just too weak. But too weak. he was strong enough to go pounding against the side of the tub. That's a point. Anyway, maybe it's just instinct, and who knows? It's just a very bizarre way to decide to drown somebody. You're like strong, and he can't use his legs. Just hold his head under the water. It's a weird sort of like reverse wheelbarrow thing he did to him.
3: Well, again. I don't think he wanted to do it, and I think that having to push his son down by the face would be a little too hard.
0: So instead, he has to hold him up by his legs so he can look him in the eyes when it happens? Yes. Come on.
3: This movie, I know we've been talking about how it's way longer than we expect, like, wanted it to be, <laughs> and way longer than it needed to be. Yeah. But I have to admit, I was very... I guess impressed isn't exactly the right word, but surprised at how much more of a story there was than I was expecting.
0: Yeah, there was a lot here to the story.
3: Yeah, there's just, there's so, so much, and I was just like...
0: It wasn't like the story was an excuse to have a haunting, it was almost the other way around.
3: <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Because it's like, as soon as, cause as soon as you find out that the father killed the son... That's when I thought, okay, we wrapped it up.
0: Right, I we know the whole story. What's left? And then there's just There's so like another third much. of the movie left.
3: And you're like, did I need it? I'm I think it's kind of interesting that you did that.
0: I think you could have taken out a few more elements and compressed the movie lost a good 15 minutes at
3: least. I really think that you should keep your secret until the end. Because when you let me know the secret like like you said like 3 quarters in. Yeah. Why am I still watching Like,
0: the tension's kind of gone.
3: Exactly.
0: Yeah. And that's one of the things, is there there kind of is no tension throughout the entire movie. Once you
3: find out who the kid is, yeah, there's none.
0: I think that uh, Roger Ebert wrote a pretty prescient review. He said, If it only took craftsmanship to make a haunted house movie, the Changeling would be a great one. And when I saw this, I'm like, yes, this is exactly what I'm talking about. It has all the technical requirements, beginning with the haunted house itself. The film does have some interesting ideas, but it doesn't have that sneaky sense of awful things about to happen. Scott makes the hero so rational, normal and self-possessed that we never feel he's in real danger. (laughs) We go through this movie with too much confidence, which is why when I say it's well shot, not edited, but I didn't, feel a thing it's just a series of events that just sort of happen and i think this taps into it i was never i never felt proxy dread for the main character because he was always fine <laughs> he's he's fucking george c scott <laughs> he is fine and he is just a tough guy the entire time and he has those fucking looks. And even when the cop showed up and was like, "I'm gonna ruin you," or whatever, like I was never worried about what was gonna happen there because George C. Scott was just like, "Fine, come back with a warrant. I'll be here." So Peace. Do, you think it,
3: do you think it was just bad casting? Like if they had put somebody else in it, it would have been better because we know him as too much of a strong, yeah, maybe. militaristic man.
0: Maybe. I mean, it's not to say that George C. Scott cannot play a vulnerable person. In 12 Angry Men, he has this entire emotional breakdown.
3: About his son.
0: Yeah, and it's really
2: good. God damn rotten kid! I know what they're like, I know what they can do, I know how they can kill you every day. My God, don't you see? i the only one who sees. Jesus. I can feel the knife going. In.
0: I think he plays a tough guy, dad and husband who lost his wife and kid in a tragedy really well. All those little moments where like Vandiver finds the ball. And he was like, yeah, that belonged to my daughter. Those moments are incredibly believable. Like, you look at him and you're like, he is dying inside right now. Like, I thought he did, a, he did a really, really good job of that. But, like, all the actual stuff that's supposed to thrill and scare us? Like, nothing. He's, like Roger Ebert says, he's too self-possessed. He's a hero character. And that's not what this movie Needed he was like a detective and I'm going to solve This mystery and then like oh Yeah we're going to see George C. Scott solve a mystery And he is not giving up and he's doing everything And like two thirds of the way through the movie he solves It and like Okay now what (laughs) Why am I Still here why am I still watching this There's no dread There's there's no fear And there's now no Mystery like what's going on
3: Again I'm sorry Donnie (laughs)
0: Donnie, it's very well made. (laughs) And it's very well regarded. What do you think it got on Rotten Tomatoes?
3: Uh, 86. 80%.
0: 80. Only 20 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, though. Metacritic of 70. First of all, is that overrated or underrated?
3: I think 80 is overrated. But I think 70 is what I was going to give it.
0: Yeah, I think 70 is pretty good.
3: I think it's a good movie. It's just, it's not for me. It's too long. There's too much of it that has nothing to do with the core haunting, and it's and, so. And you guys funny. know me; I love you love haunted, haunted house houses. Movies. Yeah. So this was a pretty. I was really excited about this. I was pretty disappointed.
0: Yeah, I mean, it has so many. Like again, great cinematography, great direction. George C. Scott is incredible. There's a mystery, and it's awesome in that regard. And it's good enough to where people think it's scary as fuck. And other horror movies steal shit from it. I just, I don't know why it was so affecting. <laughs> if you saw it in 1980 when it came out and you were terrified by it, I would really like to hear from you. Tweet at us. Email at us. At PodCemetery. PodCemetery at gmail.com if you want to email us. Because I really want to hear about that. Maybe it's just the perspective of seeing it in 2019 for the first time. I don't know. Maybe. Anything else to say about 1980s The Changeling? No. All right, then, before we move on to our next movie, Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition.
3: This one's going to be impossible.
0: So you say.
3: What segment in 1945's Dead of Night involved golf?
0: What what do you mean, what segment? It had a a name?
3: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: I don't know. Well. Wow. I mean, I know it's this I I can tell you the story. They're <laughs> arguing over a girl that they both like, and she's like, fine, figure it out amongst yourselves. And they decide to play to play golf. And when the one guy loses, he walks into the water and kills himself. And then he comes back as a ghost. Because then, the
3: other guy cheated. Yes,
0: because he found out that the other guy cheated, right? And so he comes back as a ghost and then he knows he needs to do a thing to go back to the ethereal plane and he can't remember how to do it and when the w- when the living guy figures it out he turns into a ghost. You're like weird. I I like I know the story. <laughs> What's it called? I don't fucking know. Okay. I wrote so. down all the names in my notes. I do remember that.
3: So when I looked at the back for the answer, yeah, I looked at the one underneath it. That's why I thought it was going to be impossible.
0: Okay. So wait, is it the title of the sequence? Yes. Okay, what is it?
3: The golfer's story segment. Oh. How is that even a question? I don't know. I thought it was a name. I could have name. gotten the answer
0: right by saying the segment with the golf. Yeah. Which segment has golf? The segment with the golf?
3: <laughs> yeah, no, I was looking at the answer underneath it. I thought it was a name. And I was like, you're never going to fucking remember this dude's name. That's dumb. (laughs) I got that right. No, you didn't. You didn't guess. Yes, I did. You didn't guess.
0: I told you the whole story. You didn't guess. I told (laughs) you the story. Fine. You want a really fucking easy one? Here you go. (laughs) The older Mr. Krieg in Trick or Treat 2007, Brian Cox, Okay. is revealed to have been what character in the school bus massacre? The driver. Yeah. Right? I mean, come on. <laughs> we find out because we see pictures in his house.
3: Yeah, it was just it was throwing me off because you said the older Mr. Krieger. I was like, it's the same character.
0: Right, and he's, he's older. older. I get it. I get
3: it. <laughs> it, just, it was throwing me off. I was like, is there? does he have a kid? No, that's the neighbor.
0: All right, Kelsey. Next up is... 2017's Ghost Stories, written and directed by Jeremy Dyson and Andy Nyman based on their stage play, starring Andy Nyman, Martin Freeman, and Paul Whitehouse. What is Ghost Stories all about?
3: A man who debunks people who say they've seen ghosts or can talk to ghosts is told by his idol.
0: Uh, A very James Randi type.
3: That... There are three stories that haunt him to this day that he can't explain, so he needs to go and try and explain them. So he does.
0: Yeah. Should people see ghost stories?
3: I liked it. I'm glad I saw it.
0: I do not know what to say about
3: this one. The ending pissed me off.
0: The ending? You mean the last third of the movie again?
3: <laughs> no, like the last. You mean ten like
0: minutes? the the last moment? Yeah. Uh-huh. The
3: last ten minutes. It seemed like an easy out. Yeah. And that bothered me.
0: Yep. Yeah, I wrote, that can't be the real twist, can it?
3: But it was. Yeah. There were a lot of things I really enjoyed about it, and I'm glad I saw it. Oh, yeah.
0: Uh Uh-huh. There's a lot of stuff that's pretty good about it.
3: But the ending is very disappointing.
0: I remember hearing people just, like, lose their nuts about this movie. Like, I don't don't see what they saw. Again, like, I don't know if that's the hidden theme of this episode, but,
3: like, (laughs) Oh, Donnie, I'm sorry. No, I
0: liked it. <laughs> oh, my God. It is just like the changeling.
3: <laughs>
0: but, like, I don't get why everyone lost their minds over this movie. Remember, people were talking about it for a while.
3: Yeah. I guess it was a British horror. It was different.
0: Yeah, it was, it was a different... Like, I almost feel let down by the premise. The premise is just so good that how the stories are connected and what that ultimately means for the main crux of the movie, like, it let me down. Because what I saw was really good. And what the premise was was really good. There were a lot of was was really a lot
3: problems throughout it. Yeah, but like But they were it together, all because of the ending, in my opinion. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, throughout the movie, I was like, I'm enjoying this, but there's just, there's problem after problem after problem. Because you guys know me, I... Look at those little plot holes, and I'm like, no, 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 can't, this doesn't make sense, can't work, and then the ending happens, and I'm like, I understand how it works now, and I'm not very happy about it.
0: (laughs) And only kinda, it only kind of works. That's the other thing, if you poke a little bit too much at it.
3: Well, we'll get into it.
0: Yeah, anyway, yes, no?
3: I would watch it, because it's free on Hulu. Yeah. If you have Hulu, watch it.
0: If you can see it for free, watch it. Yeah. You can take our advice or leave it. And when we get back, we will talk about 2017's Ghost Stories.
1: Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Professor Philip Goodman. (coughs) My job is to explain the unexplainable, untangle the truth from the fiction. You don't have to have your life ruled by superstitious fear. Mr. Goodman. Everything you have spent a lifetime trying to debunk the supernatural. It's all true. Three cases I couldn't explain. You go and investigate if you did. Things are not always as they seem. Tell me about your incident. You don't believe, do you? Hello? I
2: don't want people looking at me and thinking that I'm mad.
1: Because I know what I saw. No, 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 no. Do you believe in evil, Professor? I didn't. Until that night. These are signs.
2: I know you're still there!
1: The spirit. I understand how easy it is to get confused. Don't let him force get into your head, Mike. Everything is exactly as it seems. You don't know everything. Wait, wait, I don't like it.
2: (laughs) The brain sees what it wants to see.
0: All right, Kelsey, why don't you get us started on ghost stories? How does this whole thing begin?
3: We start by hearing dripping water and heavy breathing and a man gasping and crying, which will become important later on. So we start on a bar mitzvah, and we see that the father is not the most tolerant or happy of men. No. And his sister ends up dating a Muslim or something. Probably, yeah. And uh, that destroys the family.
0: He ends up kicking her out of the house.
3: Yes. And so he ends that little segment by saying, we have to be so very careful with what we believe in. And so he ended up becoming an investigating psychic.
0: Yeah. So first off, uh, the character's name is Philip Goodman, Dr. Philip Goodman. And he's played by Andy Nyman, who is one of the writers and directors between Andy Nyman and Jeremy Dyson, who wrote and directed the movie.
3: And so he introduces himself as he stops this psychic show um, and basically calls him out for being a liar. He So each person was supposed to fill out a prayer card, which, I, I like, how obvious
2: is that? Okay,
0: so I said before the break that the man that Goodman looks up to is very Randian, not as in Ayn Rand, but... <laughs> like James Randi or The Amazing Randi, who is a famous skeptic. He was a magician, and he stopped doing that because he saw that psychics were, like, taking advantage of people and their grief, and he hated that. He thought that illusions should be used to thrill and excite people, not to take advantage of them for profit. Like, he didn't think that that was okay. And very much like... Houdini, he made it his life's mission to debunk these people. And between Houdini and Randy, the two of them were big, big influences on Penn and Teller. Penn Jillette has said in the past that Penn and Teller would not exist as it is today were it not for James Randy. James Randy is still alive. He's like 90 or something like that. Uh, He's still active. Uh, He came out as gay like 10 years ago. He did stuff like this. As a matter of fact, specifically to a man named Peter Popoff, who was a televangelist and he claimed to be a faith healer. And they would fill out these prayer request cards beforehand because he was a televangelist, right? You want to, oh, this is the person I want to pray for. And the audience members didn't even think about the fact that they might be using that for him Trying to say that he was psychic.
3: Which I just feel like at that point, it's kind of your own
0: fault. (laughs) This is the same technique that's used by all of those psychic television shows that came out in the late 90s and the early 2000s, the same exact technique. Audience members would say, I want to talk to my son named Martin. Mm -hmm. And then they would say, oh, there's a little boy I'm sensing, begins with the letter M, like Mikey, Martin, and then Martin, yeah, that's me, you know, whatever. It's a tried and true technique called warm reading, contrasted with cold reading, which is where people just like, spray and pray (laughs) they just kind of guess at things or they take wild stabs they say things that are really really general and see who reacts and then they get they focus in and they get more and more specific and they base the reactions of the people who they're talking to they base how they further delve into the specifics based on the on their reactions Uh, but the prayer card thing was a real thing and Randy intercepting his wife, Popoff's wife, talking to him in an earpiece was a real thing that happened. And they recreate that here in this movie.
3: Didn't they do that in The Mentalist as well? Isn't that how he got fired or something?
0: No, what happened in The Mentalist is that there was a serial killer going around and when the main character, what's his face... Claimed that he was working with the police to help track down the serial killer. The serial killer got pissed off and killed his family. Oh. Not the same thing.
3: Okay. Um,
0: (laughs) Randy was also responsible for orchestrating the test performed on Johnny Carson uh, on Uri Geller, famous psychic spoon bender type person. And Uri Geller. Yeah. Uri Geller thought he was just showing up for an interview. And Carson, who was also a magician, uh,
3: Johnny Carson?
0: Yeah, uh-huh. He was a natural stage performer before he was a he was a talk show host. Reached out to Randy and they coordinated a test for Geller on the show without Geller's knowledge using all of their equipment and everything and Geller refused to perform conveniently in 1964 Randy has an educational foundation, and he started offering a prize as an open challenge to anyone who was willing to, under the foundation's test criteria, like you have to do it in our location using our equipment, prove that you are in fact psychic or have some sort of supernatural power. Starting in 1996, that prize money went up to a million dollars. No one ever claimed the money. The closest anyone ever got was there was one gentleman who could tell you what classical music composition was on a record just by looking at it. And That's weird. Yeah. And they proved it's the only case where they're like, no, he legitimately has this power. Because what he was doing is he was reading the grooves of the record, and he just knows what each of the sounds in each of these compositions looks like in the grooves of a record. He's just very, very knowledgeable.
3: How did they prove that?
0: Well, they gave him a test with their own records. Ah. Uh, and he was still able to do it.
3: No, I know. And I'm saying so. No, that's did- what he,
0: that's, he never claimed to have supernatural powers. Oh. He just said that's what he was doing. And they're like, well, let's really test that. And sure enough, it was. But it wasn't, a, it wasn't the same test because it wasn't a supernatural test. It was just this dude who, had, who was really fucking talented. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's James Randi. And that's who both the character of Philip Goodman and his idol are kind of based on.
3: Okay. So he ends up exposing this guy in a kind of fucked up way in the middle of him talking to a woman who's, like, crying because she she thinks the guy is talking to her dead son. Yeah. And it's like, couldn't you have, like, exposed him after <laughs> instead of in the middle of this when this poor woman is crying?
0: Well, I mean, the important thing is when you're trying to expose these people is to expose them uh, without warning and in front of an audience. And, it, and it's awkward and it's uncomfortable, but it's better than what he's doing to these people. Okay. At least from their perspective.
3: So then we get to see the guy that Chris has been talking about that he idolizes and how he can prove everyone that has ever pro- like said that they are possessed or there's a haunting. He goes and he debunks it.
0: Yeah, this, this character's name is Charles Cameron.
3: But then he disappeared.
0: And everyone just kind of assumed he was dead.
3: Yes. Then our main character receives a tape asking him to come and see him.
2: Hello, Professor Goodman. This is Charles Cameron. I'm sure you're surprised to hear my voice.
3: And of course he does. He's his idol. So he goes and he's really nervous to see this guy. But when he gets there, it's a mobile home. It's
0: a trailer home. It's a, yeah. Yeah, it's uh-huh. a
3: trailer. And he gets inside and it's all gross and it smells bad. And
0: You assume?
3: <laughs> well, because there's like flies and he even like okay, puts yeah, his hand uh-huh. up to his nose and stuff. Like they're making it very obvious it doesn't smell good and it's dirty. And um, this guy is dying and there's like stuff all over the place that shows that he's dying. And he's talking to him, and he's like, I just assumed you were dead. And he's like, well, how do you know I'm not? Yeah. And he's like, I, I guess I don't. <laughs> he's talking to him, and he's like, you know, you should really leave all of that energy that you have for your job for your family. And he's like, well, I'm not married. And he goes, what a surprise. Uh-huh. And he, he explains, you know, I look back at my career with shame at my disrespect and my arrogance. Yeah. And he says that the main guy is weak and cowardly and he's like the reason i'm saying this is because i've found out that everything is true you're wrong yeah and he's like i have these three cases i need you to prove to me that they're not true so go and look into them and prove it to me and when and when he leaves there's like this figure this shadowy figure standing behind the guy but our main character just kind of He does that a lot. He just kind of goes, whatever. Well,
0: because he, I think rightly, just assumes there's an explanation for it. So he doesn't really get scared ever until he's confronted with the things that he doesn't have an explanation for. Yeah. But he has an explanation for everything. Because ultimately, he's like, listen, this may be far-fetched, my explanation. Uh, They don't really say this, but this is the kind of thought process that his character is going through. But of all the trillions of things that happen around the world at any given moment, something like this is bound to happen and people are bound to misinterpret it. And now I'm just supposed to believe that there are ghosts? (laughs) Like nobody's been able to prove that there are. So why should I go there instead of, you know, the Occam's razor, the simplest explanation?
3: And we've talked about the fact that the ending is a twist and disappointment. So I'm not going to give away the ending just yet, but I'll tell you right now. As soon as I saw those three cases, I knew something was wrong. Right. Because this guy is super old, and he's talking about these cases as if they happened a long time ago.
0: And there's this kid who's really young. Yeah. Yeah.
3: As soon as I saw the pictures, I was like, huh? Yeah,
0: because dude disappeared in like the 70s or 80s,
3: mm-hmm. or
0: maybe even a little later than that, but he's been missing for decades.
3: Right, but that's not really what I'm talking about because he could have gone on to do more stuff after he supposedly disappeared, but...
0: I've thought about the ending, and I think I'm a little bit more okay with it than I was when I first saw it. But we'll get there.
3: Okay. So case number one, Tony Matthews. He meets this guy in a bar, and he is a security guard. The security guard is kind of playing with our main character, but also kind of being a dick. Yeah. Like, he, like, goes for a high five, and, like, he moves his hand. He's, like, too slow, (laughs) you know? Then you look like a teacher. And he's, like, oh, I do. No, not really. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, he's, like, oh, I'm on this TV show. And he's, like, he's pretending that he knows what it is. And then, and he says, like, it's shit. And he's, like, oh, okay. And he's, like, no, I'm just kidding. I've never even heard of your show. (laughs) (laughs) And he keeps trying to get him to talk about his story, but... Basically, he won't tell him until he pays him, and he ends up paying him $50.
0: I think he even gives him more money when the dude starts resisting a little bit, too.
2: Mm.
3: He's explaining that he is a night watchman, but before he can tell his story, the main guy is asking him personal questions, Mm -hmm. and the watchman gets very affronted when he asks him these questions. Mind your own fucking business. My wife is dead. I don't see my daughter. And then you find out that the daughter is the product of an affair, and she has locked-in syndrome.
0: Yes. If you've ever seen The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, you want to talk terrifying. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. The idea of locked-in syndrome, imagine a coma, except you are awake. So whereas a coma, you're basically asleep for who knows how long, we never know when you're going to wake up. You have minimal brain activity or what have you. In the case of locked-in syndrome, just your body does not work. In many cases, your eyes do. But in like a total locked-in syndrome, even they don't work. But your mind is completely aware.
3: Which is what I thought. But the way this man describes it, he says, I don't even know if she knows I'm in there. I guess that's because if she can't move, how how can you know? But if we are able to... He
0: talks about it like it's a coma.
3: Yeah, if you Uh can scan a person's brain, you should be able to know they have brain activity. Yeah. So that's weird. Mm -hmm. And that will come up again a couple times, and it really bothered me. He's a night watchman in an abandoned women's asylum, and he explains that, like, other guys were were quitting because they were saying they were seeing things. But he was going to be quitting soon anyway, so he was like, ah, whatever, I'll just finish it out, right? It's really a strange setup. He's like in an office, but it's in a building and like the other watchmen are in other buildings.
0: Yeah, he's like in the he's like I guess maybe it's in the place where they distribute the meds or whatever. It's in it's in that like the room where the doctors or the nurses might be sitting or what have you. And he's talking to his I assume Polish new guy oh, in I a different building. Russian? Maybe. He seems Russian, but he apparently speaks Polish because he says he doesn't like this place. It's very, like we would say uh, Zloslewy. I don't like this place,
1: Tony. It feels bad. We have, um, we have a word for this back home. It is
0: Zloslewy. Which is Polish, it's an adjective, it means malicious or malignant. So I, based on that, I assume he's Polish.
3: And this guy's character's name is Merrick, and we never see him, we only ever hear him. But he, I loved him.
0: Yeah, he's fun. <laughs> he,
3: he was really funny, he's really respectful and nice. Yeah. But he's also very funny because he doesn't really understand the language.
0: Yeah.
3: <laughs> Tony Matthews, the Watchman, is inside this room. Listening to the radio, but the radio goes out. So he has to go find out what happened. It's just unplugged. So he plugs it back in goes back in. But now his teacup has moved and that's weird. Well, Uh, what's
0: happening over and over again is that the generators, the multiple generators that are running throughout this place keep getting unplugged and the whole power in his office goes out.
3: Yeah. So he ends up having to go out there to try and fix it. And while out there... There is a woman in yellow, or a girl in yellow. girl, yeah, I guess. Yeah, he sees. And he goes back into the room, and he starts hearing noises, and he's like, Merrick? And I just wrote down, that doesn't sound like Merrick.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> and he knows that, and he's really scared, and he goes out into this room, and it's really strange, and it's this small little room that he's hearing these noises in. And he walks in, and there's just a bunch of... Mannequins.
0: Armless mannequins.
3: Yeah, I don't think they're armless. I'm pretty
0: sure they're armless. Mm. The only one that had arms was the one that was the Under last one he sees. He,
3: yeah, so he, there's one that's covered in a sheet, and he's like, oh, fuck this shit. And he leaves. Uh, he chose to leave,
0: and the door slams shut. Oh, my God. Now, keep in mind, this is a, an asylum in the UK that's not used anymore. This is a place where they would lock crazy people up in cells. Basically it's a prison for the insane. And (laughs) if there's nobody on the other side of that door to let him out, he is never getting out. And he turns around and he sees this little girl in this yellow coat, walk up to him and like call out to him like daddy or something like that, uh, reaches up and like, Puts her finger in his mouth.
3: And it's very creepy. Yeah. It's very effective. And then
0: like hugs him. And then that's the end of that story. Yes. I would like to say there is a really good shot. First of all, I don't like it in horror movies when it's dark outside and people are using flashlights and the flashlights start to flicker out. (laughs) How many times has that ever happened to you in your entire life?
3: I've had a flashlight go out on me before. Sure. (laughs) In the
0: one moment where it's actually something that's here to kill you. Uh, No. (laughs) Like, that's my problem with it. It's just so unbelievable and so obviously just toying with your emotions and trying to get you scared. Unless the flashlight being on the blink is part of the haunting. Like, if the ghosts are actively causing it. I don't like it when it's just a shitty coincidence. (laughs) Anyway, there's one moment when he uh, when he he turns and he's walking and all he has is his flashlight and the way that the shot is framed. He's scared. He has his flashlight and he has his hand kind of like tucked in at the elbow and and sticking out like he's just kind of walking around kind of scared like he would be holding up a lantern in a graveyard or something like that, <laughs> but it, the hands open. And it casts a shadow on the wall to the left of him, but everything is framed in such a way that it appears that the shadow is behind him, like it's a hand reaching out for him. But it's yes. his own hand being shown in the light. I thought that was really cool. Yes. Very effective.
3: This scene was pretty creepy. I was like holding on to Chris's arm. <laughs> I, was a little, I was a little scared, I'll admit it. And then after he hears the story, we don't find out how he got out of the room. We don't find out what happened. Uh -uh. He goes and he explains, you know, I went and told my priest and my priest doesn't even believe me. So he goes to talk to the priest and he's like, look, does it matter if it was real or not? It got him to go back and talk to his daughter. Uh Like, I hate this modern disregard for the spiritual realm. Is what he says. Yeah. And I liked that. I didn't like the main character and his idol. Their whole thing is debunking things. Yeah. And this old man who's dying, his idol, told him, I can't explain this. He didn't go and check it out. For all you know, he's just telling you a story. And that's the same thing with the main guy. Right.
0: Okay. Again, I've rethought the ending. But I was, after the first two, I was like, okay, this is really annoying because if somebody who is a professional debunker of these sorts of stories came across these stories, there is no proof that any of these even fucking happened. Exactly. It's just hearsay. That's what I'm saying. Let alone explaining how, if they did happen, what the the rational explanation could be. So I'd be pissed if they don't mention it. He does mention it. The next story is him. He goes and he visits this young man in the young man's house. There's this creepy thing about how there's a dude standing there next to his mom who's doing the dishes. And then the door slams on its own. And then there's people upstairs. But there aren't people upstairs. And it's it's kind of creepy. And he's talking to this obviously disturbed young man. And the young man tells him a story about how he was driving out late one night. He was coming home late. He didn't have his license. And
3: he's a total fuck up. Yeah, he
0: is a total fuck up. And he's talking to his dad on the phone and the dad's going off on him. You know, you lied to me. You're a liar. Yeah, you're a liar. I bet you didn't even pass your driving test. And the dude's like, oh, shit, because he didn't. He didn't have his license. Um, And then all of a sudden he hits something. Now it's like a a satyr. It's like a hooved.
3: Like a goat person. Yeah,
0: like a goat person. So it could be.
3: The
2: devil. The
0: devil. (laughs) Theoretically. And he is freaking out. For good reason. Again, keep in mind that in this story, he's the same age as he is right now when Goodman is talking to him. And the Randy character, Cameron, is supposedly freaked out by this story and investigated it himself. That's part of the reason why he went into hiding. Mm -hmm. So what's going on here?
3: Exactly.
0: But anyway he's freaking out he's trying to call for a tow and they're like yeah we'll be there in 45 minutes or whatever well
3: first of all he can't get reception inside the car
0: so he has to get out of the car yeah which doesn't make a lot of sense
3: it makes no sense unless
0: it's caused by the haunting But, but there's no indication it is but
3: also so he's afraid of what's outside the car right And he can't get reception.
0: Well, he starts to drive away and then the car breaks down and that's why he needs to call the tow truck.
3: Right. So his decision is to put the phone outside of his window, right? So that he doesn't actually have to get out of the car. Here's the thing.
0: Now you can't talk on it? Yeah!
3: (laughs) If your phone's only going to work outside the car... You can't talk to so it if it's outside the car.
0: That doesn't work. And so he gets out of the car and he talks to the tow truck driver. And he can't do anything until the tow gets there. So he gets back in the car. And then...
3: The back door opens. The
0: back door opens. And he's
3: so scared. And it's so great. The thing is inside. He knows so it good. is. And he's like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm so
0: sorry. And then the thing just... Grabs him from behind and grabs onto his shoulders as as Simon, as the character, is trying to get out of the car. Like it's reach, he's reaching for the car handle, and then it just grabs him, and it's like, "Stay!" and he's like, "Fuck that!" and he just jumps out of the car. I loved
3: it. Stay. Fuck that.
0: And it's really good until he's attacked by something else, some humanoid creature. Tree
3: monster. Tree
0: monster thing <laughs> in in the forest that he's running through. And that's the end of his story. And the next thing we see is Goodman is out in the forest where Simon said this happened And he sees a very large tree that had fallen over and the root system in the dirt forms what you could misinterpret if you were scared and it was in the dark as a tree monster or whatever. And this is the moment that he calls up Cameron and says, Charles, I've now investigated
1: two of your cases quite thoroughly. feels quite simple to me, really. The brain sees what it wants to see. They're your words, Charles. Tony Matthews is an alcoholic who's wrestling with unresolved grief. And Simon, is was a fragile young man from a deeply dysfunctional family who's on the edge of psychosis. I understand all too well, Charles, how easy it is to get confused and to lose faith in one's own judgment, especially when we're tired and emotional and unwell.
0: So I liked that they didn't just try to write something and, and be like, ah, it's a spooky thing. And the skeptic can't like, they thought from a skeptic's perspective that the skeptic would be like, yeah, this is fucking bullshit. I don't understand why these individual stories are supposed to be any more realistic than any other story that, that a skeptic would have debunked. So they, so they do address that and he kind of gets an answer to it. So finally, there's the third story.
3: And this has Watson.
0: Yes, Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman plays a successful stock market broker, I assume, if a financier or something, something like that. Something to do yeah. with finances. Yeah.
3: So he's going out with this guy, and for some reason, he's just walking out into a field and he's going to get uh, a shotgun out of this little shed. Mm -hmm. and the main guy is a little confused, and he keeps trying to get him to talk about it, but he, he wants to tell the story about him and his wife. Yeah. And how his wife refused to have a baby until she got to be a partner at the firm. But by the time she did that, she was 40, so it was really difficult for them to have a baby. So they had to do these IVF treatments.
0: In vitro fertilization, yeah.
3: And then she does get pregnant. But... Unfortunately, it didn't go so well.
0: Yes. He's at home alone because she started spotting. And he takes her to the hospital. And they kind of never explain to him exactly what's going on. So he's really upset about that fact. But he's home alone. And there's a crib in their very nice home. And there's a little doll with a yellow jacket on all of a sudden diapers just get tossed across the room and he goes over there and he checks like for wind through the windows or the doors or whatever that may have blown these everywhere. And he doesn't find a rational explanation for it. Also, what is he going to do? Right. (laughs) Nothing else is happening. Nothing's going on right now. So he picks up the diapers and he goes to put them back. He sees like a stack of like, Baby care health equipment stuff, like Q-tips and other things, all stack up on top of each other. And he sees this happen, including, like, a pacifier or something like that. We should probably say that throughout this journey across the hills, Goodman keeps seeing somebody in, like, a hooded jacket. Yes. Kind of like the killer from I Know What You Did Last Summer.
3: Oh, I thought of Urban Legend.
0: Sure. And he's also... Martin Freeman's character has also been getting, like, texts this whole entire time, and he pauses the conversation to respond, and we assume he's making trades or some business thing or whatever. And then at this point in the conversation, he's talking about how the kid, Barty, ended up surviving when nobody thought that he would. Uh, He gets a text message, and instead of responding this time, he doesn't. He just looks at it, and he puts it back in his pocket And then he says, nobody thought that Barty would live this long, but he did. That's one thing I've learned is that life goes on. No one believed that Barty would have survived this long. But somehow life finds
1: a way. It's what I've learned that uh,
3: life goes on. Life finds a finds way. a way. He actually said that. Like, why? Thanks, Malcolm. <laughs> exactly. Why would you do that?
0: Life uh, finds a way. And then he he looks kind of funny at the recorder that Goodman is holding while he's recording the story, almost like, "Did you get that? Are you recording?" And then he goes and he breathes in, almost like he's surprised. And then he swings the shotgun around past Goodman. And then two underneath his chin, and he kills himself.
3: That was a little shocking when it happened. Even though later, I remember- You almost
0: expect it, but it's still shocking. I don't know, it's weird.
3: It shocked me when it happened, and then later I was like, didn't they show that in the trailer? Him shooting himself? I don't know. Anyway.
0: So he goes back to Cameron, and he's like, what the fuck? (laughs) And they have this kind of back and forth conversation-
3: and I love it because at one point, the guy, he he's kind of obviously freaking out. And he goes, what I've learned is that everything is exactly as it seems. And the guy says, is it? The brain sees
0: what it wants to see. Because that's what he learned from Cameron, is that the brain sees what it wants to see. It's actually the tagline for the movie. They had on posters for the film They had ghost stories, but it was spelled S-T-O-R-E-I-S on purpose because – I don't know if you've ever done this before where somebody will say, what's wrong with this sentence or whatever, or read the sentence out loud, and you do, and you totally just breeze right over the fact that the word two happens twice in succession, and you don't even notice it because mm-hmm. your brain expects to see something, and it fills in those blanks for you.
3: Which is what I try to tell my kids. I try to explain to them why they need to reread what they have written out loud because otherwise your brain is going to fill in the gaps. Yeah, uh-huh but they don't listen. Yeah. So, after he says that, the the old dying guy tears off his face and ends up being Martin Freeman.
0: Yeah, and then he like rips off of his off his robes and stuff like that and he's perfectly impeccably tailored suit just like Martin Freeman's character in the story he was telling and then he kind of spits into his hands and rubs them through his hair. And when he passes them through, he has a perfectly combed head of hair. (laughs) And then he just kind of stares at him and the shot freezes for just a second to make you feel a little uncomfortable. Like it's just too perfect as Martin (laughs) Freeman is smiling. And because one of the theories that Goodman had about all of this is that this is just Cameron's way of getting back into the spotlight and he needs to discredit the current guy And so that's why he sent him on this wild goose chase and, and tries to trick him into thinking this is all these stories are real ghost stories. So he can discredit him and then Cameron can win back the spotlight. That's what, Goodman thinks. Our character, Goodman. This whole thing's a stupid, shitty hoax to get you back on TV. It's a way of usurping me. You are a lonely, jealous, bitter old man, and that's the truth. And so when this happens, he's kind of like shocked. And then he turns to the side and he just says, I'm sorry, can we cut? (laughs) Sorry, can we cut?
1: Who are you talking to?
3: It's really good. so
0: good. So this is the moment when the movie just goes fucking nuts. Mm-hmm. There is still about 20 something minutes left. And what happens in the rest of the movie is Martin Freeman's like, oh, you know what? You're right. The brain only sees what it wants to see. Right. And then he reaches out and touches the window behind them in the back of this trailer. And he like rips at it. And he peels it away, and it's just a facade in front of a brick wall with a door. And you're like, "What's going on?" <laughs> and so d- Martin Freeman walks inside. Is like, "Are you coming?"
3: <laughs>
0: he asks, "What's in there?" And he's like, "Oh, just us, you, me, Barty, and uh, and then he just kind of like disappears back in the house. And then uh, dude gets yanked inside, and then the the camera pans back. And you can see that it's always just been the outside of this brick building, and they were never inside the trailer at all. And now they're walking down train tracks, and Goodman has no idea what the fuck is going on. And they end up walking into the forest, and Goodman is really nervous. We find out later that it's because he he feels like he recognizes this place.
3: Yeah, and they eventually see, like, these, like, tunnels. And he asks him, who's in there? And he goes, you know who. And I'm sorry, but with the weird baby and the train tracks and you know who, I was like, Voldemort? (laughs) Is Voldemort going to be in there? Pennywise? (laughs) And he keeps walking and he's expecting the main guy to follow him. And he stops and he goes, I don't like it. Wait, wait,
1: please. Please. I don't like
3: it. This ends up having a lot more weight. (laughs) But when I first heard it, I was like, hey, I used to say that when I was a little, little kid. Uh Uh-huh. Like three years old, two years old, learning how to talk. I was a very stubborn child. And apparently if I... Surprise, surprise. Whenever I didn't want something or whatever, I would just be like, I don't like it.
0: (laughs) No, sir, I don't like it. (laughs) No, sir, I don't like it. So he comes across these bullies. And
3: We saw them earlier in the movie. Yes. And he just kind of looked away. And when I first saw that, I was like, what a dick.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and they call out to him. Obviously, they're his bullies from school. And next time we see Goodman, he's a, he's a young kid in the shot. Yes. And they're picking on him.
3: At first, they're like... Throwing rocks at bottles next to him and then they want him to put it next to his, in front of his face. But before they can throw the rock, this person shows up wearing that big hoodie. Yeah. And it ends up being a mentally disabled young man.
0: Who the bullies call Kojak. I'm not entirely sure why. I assume it's because it looks like maybe either he tried to shave his own head and failed or bullies did that to him. Mm -hmm. And that's why they call him Kojak, because Kojak was bald. They basically tell him the story about the numbers. Yeah, so they say,
3: you can be in our gang if you go down that tunnel, and you can tell us all ten numbers.
0: Just the tenth one. Oh, just the tenth All you need to do is remember the tenth one. But they might be hidden, so you need to look around everywhere. And then you can be part of our gang. So if you tell us the correct number when you get back out... You can be in our gang.
3: And our main character as a teenager is like, don't go in. There aren't 10 numbers. But before he can, they keep like hitting him. And because this guy has mental disabilities, he's not picking up on these cues. Yeah. So he goes in and he's reading out the numbers and he starts to freak out because it gets really, really narrow inside. And he's like, I don't like it. And that's why earlier the guy said, I don't like it.
0: And And, And then the bullies run away.
3: Well, before they run away, they're laughing. They think it's funny. Yeah. And the guy, I thought, had a seizure, find out he was asthmatic, and so... He couldn't
0: breathe. He couldn't breathe. Yeah. And they run away when they realize shit's gotten real. And instead of going in after this kid, young Goodman... Runs off as well
3: And so Martin Freeman and adult Goodman Are then shown again And he's like I didn't do anything I had nothing to do with it I tried to stop him And Martin Freeman's response is That's right You did nothing You passenger
1: I wasn't the one who made him go in there I wasn't the one who called him Kojak To his face And I wasn't the one Who wouldn't let him come out when he wanted to I did nothing. That's right. You did nothing. You passenger.
3: Oh, that's a hefty insult right <laughs> there.
0: And he accuses him basically of what he does now with his life is he has to rationalize everything just like he had to rationalize why he didn't take any action and how that's not, that makes it to where it's not his fault.
2: Mm-hmm. He
0: has to reduce everything, as Freeman puts it reducing life's biggest questions to atoms and molecules.
1: And since then, how have you spent your days, Mr. Goodman? Reducing life's biggest questions to atoms and molecules. It is just atoms and molecules. What else is there for God's sake?
3: And then the Kojak kid runs out after him and it's creepy. Yeah. I mean, it's- he's
0: like. Older. Well, okay, so what happens really is we see there's a crib, and there's a baby in it, and Martin Freeman takes the baby out, never get to see the face, so we don't know what the baby looks like, and Martin Freeman's character just kind of takes the baby and walks away as Goodman collapses against this crib, and then all of a sudden something pops out from over the top of the crib, oh. and it's Kojak, except he's green and twisted and... Uh, He's laughing, and he won't stop laughing.
3: Kind of like in It, you kind of have to have read the book. (laughs) Okay. When the bully friend who died, Belch, comes back to get Henry Bowers. And he, in the book, he laughs, and he's creepy, and he's gross, and it's, it's a lot like that.
0: And then he reaches out and grabs Goodman by the clothes, and just like... Cameron's robes get ripped off to reveal Martin Freeman's character in a perfect suit. He grabs his clothes and rips them off to reveal Goodman in hospital robes, a hospital gown. And he's laughing and he's uh, dragging him along.
3: To a hospital bed.
0: Yeah, through a curtain. Revealing a hospital bed laying up against the wall and then he shoves him against the hospital bed and then the camera repositions itself and it's revealed that no it's actually a hospital bed on the ground and the dudes on top of him
3: and, and before, then he like
0: puts his finger into his mouth. Before just. Before like, that happens
3: though he says oh no not again and then yeah and then he puts his finger in his mouth just like the little girl did.
0: And then the whole picture changes and, and it's revealed that what's actually in his mouth is a tube. Because, I mean, they mentioned locked-in syndrome earlier on, but really, it kind of just seems like he's in a coma, or he's gone insane and has locked-in syndrome. But in comes a student doctor, who is Simon. And then in comes the attending doctor, who is Martin Freeman. And they joke and yada, yada, yada,
3: they have this whole conversation and several of the things that they say are things that happened or came up at some point in the movie.
0: Right. One of those things is that Martin Freeman reveals to us that Goodman tried to commit suicide.
3: He, and he says, come on, everyone knows the best way to do it is a shotgun. To shotgun the in
0: the mouth. That's the way to do it. Failed self asphyxiation in his car.
1: Silly bugger. Shotgun in the mouth.
3: That's the way to do it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. And then the janitor comes in and it's- it's
3: the first guy.
0: Tony, the night watchman. He kind of teases him. He puts a mirror up above his face so he can watch TV or something like that. And then- There's
3: There's a doll in a yellow dress in the room. Yeah. And so all of these things, basically you come to find out this guy tried to kill himself, was unsuccessful- And ended up with locked-in syndrome, apparently. Uh, Or he
0: destroyed enough of his brain to where he's still alive, he just can't function.
3: uh, And so all these things that he is hearing and seeing while he's awake get put into his nightmares while he's asleep. Yes. And that is super, super fucked up. And I gotta say... It is
0: pretty fucked up.
3: I gotta say, that ending had a big impact on me. Not really in the way I think, well, maybe the movie wanted this. I'm... Terrified of Of locked-in syndrome. syndrome. I am petrified of becoming a vegetable and getting stuck in a hospital bed for the rest of my life. Yeah,
0: here. Let's prove here. Let's put it on the recording. If Kelsey is ever to the point where she is in a vegetative state.
3: Pull the plug. Pull the plug. Yes, that terrifies me. Oh, and just the finger in the mouth and becoming the, the, the breathing apparatus. Oh, my God. I get a feeling at the back of my throat sometimes now, ever since I saw it. Yeah. Like, I'll just be driving to school, driving to work, and then I'll feel it. And I'm like, ah, God! Yeah. oh.
0: But the thing is, is when I first saw it, as it was happening, I was writing down, this can't be the real twist, can it? Like, oh, it's all happening inside the brain of a man who's in a coma. Like, that's the twist? But then I was like, okay, it does make sense that if you're in a coma, your regrets could still haunt you is that what this amounts to and then i was like okay what do the stories have to do with regret are they just a place to put all the stuff that he experiences no i know but but what's the point of the stories other than to have a place where they can put all the clues that you then see at the end
3: which also makes no sense why is he dreaming about things before they fucking happen
0: well again he says do they not all again. have the same
3: conversations every day? Does he hear the same conversations and then dreams about them over and over again? No. Maybe? No. Maybe. Um. But
0: I mean the point is is that when Cameron disappeared decades ago, he really did disappear. He's probably dead. He never existed in the first place. These spirits or what's more likely the probable answer, the rational answer, his own powerful regret is putting him through these experiences.
3: Yeah, and I'm fine he's with just, that.
0: He's just feeling that guilt. and And that guilt is multiple things, including never having a family, right? That's why there's stories about children and children where things go wrong.
3: And dead wives. And
0: dead wives, and yeah. And that's why he sees the dude in the hood everywhere, obviously, because he feels guilt about that. It's about not doing something. Could that be what drove him to, I mean, Martin Freeman says as much, this guilt is what drove him to overanalyze the entire world, and then he stops living. And it's just all of these regrets and all of this guilt in the mind of somebody that drove him to suicide eventually. And now all he has are these nightmare moments.
3: What of things that haven't happened yet? That just makes me insane.
0: (laughs) I think that there is something a, a little bit going on here, which is why, you know, he says not again. I think it's him waking up again. Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah. So this happens to him all the time. Now, it could just be as simple as these people have similar conversations all the time. It could be. Uh they say shit around him all the time because they don't think he can understand him.
3: So Martin Freeman comes into his room every day and says the joke that he, he should seems, have shot himself. He
0: seems like a jackass. He says that's what he all you know what I always say or whatever, right? And it's a window, by the way, it's not a TV. The mirror is So is that he can see the, the bird who
3: dies, and there's a bunch of birds that die in his dreams too. Yeah. Uh-huh. We didn't mention that.
0: Yeah. But I mean, my first reaction was like that, that's kind of a cheap twist, but it's a cop out but the no, but the more I think about it, the more I see this this the symbolism of these events. they're not there to represent the unexplainable that proves that they're spirits. That's the bill of goods that you're sold to get you in the seat to watch the movie, but ultimately that has nothing to do with the movie.
3: Did you ever see the movie stay?
0: I feel like I have.
3: One time a guy asked me, so I was bragging that I knew most movies that you've ever seen, and he asked me about the movie Stay, like, I'm going to remember that title. I was like, I guess I haven't seen it, and he's like, Haha, you're an idiot. And then I looked it up later, and I was like, I've fucking seen that. I just didn't remember the stupid-ass title. Yeah,
0: what? I can picture the, the DVD case. <laughs> what is it about?
3: Spoilers! If you ever want to see the movie Stay, don't listen. Should um, people see it? No. Okay. <laughs> Ewan McGregor's in it though. That's yeah. why I saw it.
0: Right. Okay.
3: But it's basically a guy isn't somebody's in a car accident. And you know how the brain stays awake for yeah. like seven minutes after or you whatever die. Whatever it is, everything that's happening around them uh-huh. turns into a the, dream. The
0: world that he's that he knows that he now. sees yeah. for those seven for this, minutes. Yeah.
3: Uh-huh. And That's the twist at the end is that he's dying is that he's dead, and that this was all in his brain. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, so basically you took that ending. Yeah and you used it as a cop out for your ghost stories. No, but that see that's the sense. thing.
0: That's the thing is it's not a cop out. I feel like in Stay it is a cop out ending. In this it's the it's the reason for the story. It's not just like, oh, isn't that a twist? Isn't it powerful? But it doesn't say anything. This I feel like is the purpose of the story. Everything is, in fact, leading up to and feeding this, and not just little hints and clues so you can feel like we're smarter. It's that thematically they also tie into, like, the reason he tried to commit suicide and the reason he's in this situation in the first place. So I'm a little bit more okay with that.
3: I guess I would be too, but the problem is is that they're using it as a twist. Do you know what I mean? I went into this expecting to see a movie about real ghost stories that are scary.
0: I wrote, I fucking love the premise. Because I, I did. I loved the premise. I thought it was a great excuse to have an anthology horror movie that's wrapped together in some sort of package.
3: As did I. And that's not what we that's got. That's not what we got. We instead got this really depressing story. Yes. And I'm, I am not, I do not have a problem with watching depressing films. You should see the movies I've seen. I have seen a lot of depressing movies. But I want to know that's what I'm going in to see. Yeah. I don't want to go in expecting to see a spooky story and then instead just at the end just be like, fuck my life.
0: Spooky, scary skeletons.
3: And then it ends with monster mesh.
0: <laughs> for whatever reason. <laughs> I guess maybe to pick you back up again at the end of this depressing story.
3: But it has had an impact on me. That is for sure. I think about it all the time now. Yes. Yes. Now Now, I desperately I'm just like, please don't ever let that happen to me.
0: Now I actually really, really want to see the play that this is based on. It was a play that the two of them are credited for writing. Jeremy Dyson and Andy Nyman, the guy who played Goodman, are credited with writing a play about this. I really just want to see them pull it off, especially now that I know what happens. Like, I I honestly have a desire to watch this whole movie again, just so I can think about it in the context of the ending, which is almost why the fact that that it twists at the end, like you say, you were sold the bill of goods. Right. Like I said earlier, it kind of hurts the movie a little bit because It's not about the twist. It's about the meaning that that twist gives everything else. But now it's after the fact. And I've forgotten half the stuff I saw Mm -hmm. because it's in the details. It's in the things people say.
3: It's kind of the same way I felt about Hereditary. You know, the first time I saw it, I was just Uh like, fucking really. And then like the second time I saw it, everything really worked very well. And I I fully believe that if I were to rewatch this, I would feel the same way. Yeah, But I'm still angry Because I wasn't given what I was told I was going to get.
0: Yeah. And not in a way that's exciting. Exactly. It's like, surprise, depression. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Do you have any lightning round stuff? I do. What do you got?
3: So in the beginning, when I told you that we were hearing the sounds of dripping water, heavy breathing, crying, gasping, I think that's supposed to be the main character dying or trying to kill himself. Yeah.
0: And the dripping is, what, blood? No. Or he was drowning himself? Like, what was he doing?
3: He was, um... Oh, I guess
0: he didn't shoot himself, so that's... Oh, yeah, okay, what, what did he do?
3: <laughs> he's uh, with gas from his car. Oh, right, yes! So, that... Brain I said damage. I said earlier that will become important, and it did.
0: Yeah, uh-huh. I
3: thought it was interesting that <sighs> this one little tiny detail, uh, the Night Watchman, when he's talking about his daughter who has locked-in syndrome, he says, I called her Marnie. I was always a Hitchcock fan. Yeah, a little uh-huh. weird little thing to put in yeah, there. Yeah,
0: uh-huh. I just think that's a, just a fun reference for them, for the filmmakers.
3: I feel like the night watchman's job is super pointless,
0: <laughs> right? Because it's it's a disused asylum, but they still need to protect it because for a couple of reasons. Number one. If you let people come in and destroy it, if ever you want to use that property, it's going to be harder and more expensive to, to get back up to snuff. Number two, if anyone squats there, there are such things as squatter's rights. I don't know what those are in the UK, but theoretically, it could be harder to get them out once they're in there. So you have night watchmen that come and watch the place. But also, and probably more importantly, if anyone does come on that property and hurt themselves... It's your liability if you did not do your due diligence to prevent them from getting in. So it's in their best interest to hire just a dude to watch the place at night. And really, you just stay there for 10 hours, and they're probably working four tens, and every hour you just walk around the building once, and then you come back in. You just do that once just to make sure nobody's there. And that's at least your due diligence. If people sneak past the night watchman in order to get on the property and then they hurt themselves, that's the liability is on them, not on you anymore. Because you did your due diligence there.
3: When he goes to see the young guy, I love that he requires Simon. him to show him ID.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. That's
3: exactly what I would do. Show me your ID. He
0: was like, well, here, this is the thing I wrote you. <laughs> you know,
2: just to prove it But that I just, I that just love
3: that because he's like, do you have any ID? And the guy's like. Seriously? <laughs> he's like, how else am I going to know that you're the guy I talked to? And he's like, well, I am.
2: Yeah,
0: why else would I be here? <laughs> why would
3: I believe you? Like, Show me your fucking But why ID. would I be here? <laughs> I don't know who you are.
1: You could be enough. a
3: serial killer for all I fucking know. At one point, Martin Freeman, when he's getting the gun out of his shed, he says, why is it always the last key that always unlocks everything? And that and really bothered me.
0: Right. So it's a very convenient turn of phrase that's supposed to mean something bigger, and he says it in such a way as if it is profound, but in the context of that scene, there's nothing profound going on. It's just an observation, an observation that everyone's made, but to the audience who's like, what's the point of these stories, and what's the connection, and why did Cameron freak out and go into hiding because of these stories? And then dude's like, it's always the last key that unlocks everything. Why is it always the last key that unlocks everything? Hmm? Not just the thing you're trying to unlock, but everything. You're like, oh, this story he's going to tell is going to be the key one that unlocks everything. And it is not. So like,
3: He's the one that that tells him everything, so it might as well be.
0: But his story isn't. I guess. So you're expecting, with the context that you have, at that moment in the movie, the message that you're getting is, oh, this third story, this is the one that ties everything together. And it isn't. That's it. What do you think it got on Rotten Tomatoes?
3: 83.
0: Exactly right. Ha! Ghost Stories offers a well-crafted skillfully told horror anthology that cleverly toys with genre tropes while adding a few devilishly frightful twists. The Metacritic is 68. Cinema score not applicable. The Guardian described it as part of the intensely English tradition of amicus portmanteau movies from the 1960s. I love the term portmanteau. If you don't know what a portmanteau is... Literally, it's French. It means like luggage, like a case that when you open it up, like it opens up down the middle, you know, you put all your clothes in it and stuff. But the word portmanteau is a portmanteau itself. It comes from uh, port from porter, which means to carry and manteau, which is French for cloak. And you put those together. It's it's your luggage and it itself is a portmanteau Two equal parts that go together To make one thing, so the way we use portmanteau now is: you take two words, you put them together, and you make a new word, or multiple words, or or whatever. There are plenty of portmanteaus in tons and tons of different languages. German is almost nothing but portmanteaus; it's how their language works. So, for instance, motel, motel is a portmanteau. Any guesses as to what it's a portmanteau of? No. Motor Hotel uh. it's a hotel that's on the side of highways, right? Uh. Smog is smoke and fog, so it's like smoke from burning stuff and chemicals that is in the place of where fog would normally be, so it's it's now smog. there are plenty of portmanteaus you hear them all the time, and I am delighted by portmanteaus. I will accept almost any. Reasonable portmanteau that somebody just makes up on the spot because they're fun and I love them. <laughs> what the reference is to the portmanteau movies is Amicus was a production company in the 60s and 70s in England that did a lot of movies like Dr. Terror's House of Horrors, uh, Asylum, From Beyond the Grave, The House That Drip Blood. These are all movies that have multiple smaller stories, a lot like dead of night where they're linked together by one like overarching story that a single character like tells to other people who are listening to him tell these stories
3: so, so every anthology movie
0: that are linked together in the way in the context of one umbrella story They were called portmanteau films in the 60s and 70s in England, but we call them now anthology films, and the definition is a little bit more broad than that. It could just be little vignettes like Holidays was last time. Um. There is no overarching plot for those. It's still an anthology movie. It's not a portmanteau movie. Got it. So that's the difference between the two. But anyway, 83% Rotten Tomatoes, 68% Metacritic, overrated or underrated?
3: Rotten Tomatoes, overrated. Metacritic, underrated.
0: What would you give it?
3: I'm going to give it a 70.
0: So the same as The Changeling? Mm-hmm. I liked it more. I'll give it a 78.
3: I liked it. It just it made me mad.
0: <laughs> yeah. And again, I, I, I almost immediately want to watch it again. And if we were making an episode that was just all about this movie, I might have watched it again and then really dug into absolutely everything that's not really the purpose of this show guys we're just sharing our own interpretations and fun things that that we find interesting this is not a complete and total breakdown of everything that happens in the movie
3: although it might feel like it sometimes
0: (laughs) (laughs) so we didn't end up doing that here but i kind of want to and I think it earns points for that and it was visually really interesting much in the same way that the changeling was but it was this one was more like vibrant and alive than changeling was I agree ironically
3: I, I enjoyed watching this more than I enjoyed watching the changeling I'm just I'm just mad
0: yeah But maybe, like you say, it's a hereditary thing. and
3: It's possible.
0: You'd probably like it a lot more watching it a second time. You just got to get, like, now that you know that is what's happening and that's what's going to happen, you come in with that level set watching it the second time. Mm -hmm. And so you don't feel as cheated as you do watching it the first time. And you can appreciate it for what it is. I agree. I feel like the twist did it harm. Mm Mm-hmm it should have been a little bit more obvious that that's what was going on throughout. And yes, there were clues throughout, but there are clues that only make sense once you know the twist.
3: But that's how I felt about the sixth sense until you told me about your mom.
0: <laughs> about how she totally figured it out? Yeah. There are people out there that are going to be like, what are you, an idiot you didn't know? I totally figured it out. And it's like, yeah, yeah, good for you. That's not the average experience. We're not here to talk about the outlier experience.
3: That's how I feel about Fight Club. I was watching it with one of my friends for the first time. Favorite movie of all time. And some, And she just called out. She's just like, oh, is this the ending? I'm just like, what the fuck?
0: I was watching Fight Club with my dad and my brother. This was on, might have been VHS, might have been DVD. So I wasn't even 18 yet or whatever. And at one point, they were just like, nope, I'm done. And they get up and they just leave. <laughs> and like 10 minutes later- <laughs> The twist is revealed and I'm like, oh, you guys left too soon. (laughs) Anyway, so that is this week's episode with 1980s The Changeling and 2017's Ghost Stories. What are we watching next week, Kelsey?
3: Next week is another recommendation week. This one comes from Harry. Thank you, Harry.
0: Thank you, Harry.
3: Harry wanted us to watch signs oh yes yay so i thought alien invasion i'm gonna watch an alien invasion movie that i've never seen that chris has never allowed me to see what are you talking about they live
0: i have not never allowed you to see it (laughs) i don't know what you're talking about for years You never want to see it. Well, we're seeing it It just keeps coming up and I'm like, yeah, I've seen it. And you say, I haven't seen it. And that's as far as the conversation gets. It's not true. It's so true. Maybe once or twice you're like, oh, I guess I could see They Live now. And I'm like, eh, I'm not really feeling it. Maybe in the 10 years that we've known each other, maybe.
3: So we are going to watch They Live and Signs.
0: Cool. I'm excited for Signs. Listen, I understand it's not a great movie, I get it, but I've always really enjoyed watching it.
3: I love Signs, and I don't care that the ending is dumb. Right. Because the rest of it is so good. So
0: is War of the Worlds, but nobody says War of the Worlds sucks. I think a lot of people say that. <laughs> the, the, the movie, yes, but yes. I'm, I'm talking about the story.
3: Oh. <laughs>
0: right? Like, it's the story element that's the problem. Why would they come here and not assume that they might get sick from our germs? <laughs> if they're such an advanced scientific race. <laughs> uh, you could say the same thing about this.
3: Hey, well, some people might not have seen it, given the- I don't know,
0: that's all I'm saying. It's... I'm excited for it. And They Live is just fun 80s schlock with Rowdy Roddy Piper and Keith David and like a good 15 minute fight scene between the two of them where they're just in an alley kicking each other in the balls and shit. It is awesome. (laughs) It's also where the famous line I'm here to kick ass and chew bubblegum and I'm all out of bubblegum comes from. So it's an action alien invasion thriller horror movie. So excited for that.
3: We got aliens next week.
0: Awesome. Okay, that is next week. Until then, you can always find everything we do on PodCemetery.com. Dot com spell cemetery, however you feel, I guess you'll probably make it there. There you can see every single episode we've ever posted in chronological order, along with all the audio sources and everything else that we talk about. You can also get an alphabetical listing of every movie we've ever reviewed with awesome poster art. It's a great way if you have a backlog of episodes that you haven't listened to to find one that you want to listen to by finding a movie that intrigues you. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at pod cemetery or email us at pod at gmail.com on Twitter. We'll oftentimes post things that we think about after the mics are off or stuff that's visual in nature that doesn't really work well in the podcast episode. Don't forget to rate and review in the podcatcher of your choice. Keeping in mind that five-star written reviews are the absolutely best way you can help us there. What's more important than sharing us with your friends. And more important than even that is listening yourself. So thank you very, very much. We love every single one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris.
3: I've been Kelsey. And
0: this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words?
3: Do you believe in evil?
2: I didn't. I was working in the lab late one night When my eyes beheld an eerie sight For my monster from his slab began to rise And suddenly, to my surprise He did the mash. He did the monster man The monster match. It was a graveyard smash He did the match. It got on in a flash He did the mash. He did the monster match from my laboratory in the castle east To the master bedroom where the vampires feast what, what? The ghouls all came from their humble abodes To get a jolt from my electrodes They did the mash! They did the monster mash The monster mash! It was a graveyard smash They did the mash! It caught on in a flash They did the mash! They did the monster mash the zombies were having fun The party had just begun The guests included Wolfman, In Dracula, and his son
0: The director of photography... free. The director of photography... I did it again! The director of photography... It's obvious that Insidious got uh, inspiration from this seance
3: Do you want to know what I originally had planned with this movie?
0: insidious it
3: was insidious because i knew that it was about a, a ghost boy
0: oh interesting
3: and insidious is about a boy
0: but not a ghost boy
3: no i didn't look too much into right
0: it. okay anyway
3: but would that have been a good combination <laughs> probably not the best <laughs> one.
0: anyway it happens in another movie with gerbil guy what's his name Richard Gear? Richard Gear. And of course, his bodyguards are like, get the fuck back. <laughs> Guard your grill. <laughs> <laughs> Something wrong. Can't stand still. You're such a dork. I've been drinking and busting too. But and I love you. Been thinking of busting you upside your motherfucking forehead. <laughs> and if your friends jump in, all oh girl, they'll be more dead. Anyway.
3: I love you. <laughs> I was going to write that line down, and uh-huh. then he shot himself, and I was just like, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't remember to write it down.
0: Surprise! Depression! <laughs> Yay! <laughs>